You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 92, by Rudolf Steiner, entitled The Occult Truths of Myths and Legends, Greek and Germanic Mythology, Richard Wagner in the Light of Spiritual Science. It's the listener's notes to 16 lectures given in Berlin, Cologne, and Nuremberg in 1904, 1905, and 1907. And it is translated by Paul King. This is Part 1, Greek and Germanic Mythology, Lecture 1. I will be having the lectures numbered all the way successively in case they're different in the book. I just keep them in a uh, consistent order, you might say. Lecture 1, given in Berlin on the 24th of June, 1904, entitled Good and Evil. I should like to follow on today from things I discussed a fortnight ago. We might also have the opportunity to talk about the event in Amsterdam, but today I should like to speak about some concrete things we began recently and which reach into our physical plane. I have often stressed that the events taking place in our physical world are nothing other than a kind of reflected shadow of what is happening on the higher planes. For the occultist it is clear that he can only understand events in the physical world when he knows what is happening on the supersensory planes. For an occultist who has insight into the higher planes, people appear as though pulled by strings emanating from these higher planes. This might seem to be a restraint on human freedom, but I should like to show today that this is not the case. A few examples can show how the higher worlds influence us. Here I must refer back to something I said earlier, that fundamentally speaking there is no such thing as an absolute good or an absolute evil. Evil is only a kind of misplaced good. When something happened, let's say in the lunar period, which preceded our own, and an aspect of that is transplanted into our earth evolution, it appears in the present time as displaced. It was good during the moon period, but appears evil to us during the earth phase. During the moon period, someone might have had the task of organizing urges and drives in an harmonious way, but this activity was completed when old moon came to an end. The task of the earth period is to master drives and urges from the standpoint of manas, that is, the mental element. If someone had to live out their urges in the way the the Pitrus had to, in our epoch they would be an evil person whereas in the lunar epoch they were a wise sage. People usually don't consider the significance of events like, for example, the appearance of Muhammad, the founder of the Mohammedan religion in the 6th and beginning of the 7th century. We need to bear in mind here that at first Christianity tried to grow into the various other forms of religion. To begin with, we see just a small Jewish community in Palestine, and this remained very small. A principle such as the one contained in Christian teaching is not something folk souls would easily have imposed upon them. The Apostle Paul was able to reach the pagans by initially leaving their thoughts as he found them and then use their religious forms 
to imbue them with the Christian essence. In the southern regions of Europe they held services to Mithras. These were similar to the present sacrifice of the Mass. The pagans in those areas adopted Christianity because they could keep their cherished Mithras festival. It was similar with the Germanic peoples and their festival, which as Christmas became a Christian symbol. Their sanctified ancestors were adopted as Christian saints. In this way, Christianity became established in ever new regions and peoples. It was Christianity's adaptability that made this possible. The Christian religion spread more and more, but because of these many different forms, it needed a powerful center, and this is the Roman papacy. All the harms that were later perpetrated by Christianity are bound up with this world historical mission of the papacy. The Semitic peoples had to be reached in a different way, and this is what Muhammad did. He established one initial great precept, saying, There are no gods but the one God. The God I teach is the one God. This precept can only be understood as opposition to Christianity. From the beginning and its conquering of the physical plane, Christianity had the task of working into the human individuality. It does not build on old forces, but wishes to work through manas. We see in Mohammedanism that, in a conscious way, there is no longer to be a connection to the ancient, still spiritual religious forms of paganism. But the right path to conquering the physical plane would now be found only through physical knowledge. We see how this physical knowledge takes hold of medicine, which originates in Arabia and later spreads to other lands. Arabian doctors proceeded from the physical plane, unlike the healers among the ancient Egyptians, the Druids, and even the Germanic peoples. All these attained to their healing vocation by developing their psychic powers through asceticism and other exercises. We still see something similar today in the practices and procedures of shamanism, but today these have degenerated. So, psychic forces were developed in these earlier healers. Muhammad introduced a form of medical practice that derives its remedies purely from the physical plane. This form of medicine was developed where people wanted to know nothing about spiritual beings, only about the one God. Alchemy and astrology, as understood in ancient times, were done away with and turned into sciences, into astronomy, mathematics, and so on. These later became the sciences of the Western world. In the Arabs who came to Spain, we see people learned about the physical plane, particularly mathematicians. The true adherents of this trend said, quote, We honor and reverence what lives in the plant, the animal, and so on. But man should not try clumsily to reproduce what only God is competent to create. Quote. Thus in Moorish art we find only arabesques, figures that don't even have a plant form but are shaped by the imagination. The power of Greece was superseded by Rome, but Greek education and culture was passed on to the Romans. What the Arabs had, they had received from Muhammad. Muhammad introduced a form of science that is permeated purely by the laws of the physical plane. Christian monks received a stimulus from the Moors. Even though the Moors were driven back by political powers, monotheism, which brings with it a deepening of physical science, 
was brought to Europe by them and led to the purging of all pagan elements from Christianity. Through Christianity, people's feeling life was led to Kama Manas. Through Mohammedanism, the intellect, the mind, was led down from the spiritual life to an abstract apprehension of purely physical laws. This physical science had to pass through many stages in order to attain the level it has now. It had to pass through the knowledge of the Vedic priests and through all subsequent stages up to the attainments of our modern time. A lot of it had already been attained by the Atlanteans, albeit by means of psychic forces. This direction toward physical laws has been in preparation ever since Atlantean times. The Chinese are a residue of the Mongolian race of Atlantis. When we hear the Chinese speak of the Tao, it is something we find hard to understand. The Mongolians of those times had developed a monotheism that went as far as physical tangibility, as feeling the spiritual. And when the ancient Chinese, the ancient Mongolian, uttered the word Tao, he felt it as he spoke it. Tao is not the way, in quotes, as it is usually translated. It is the primary energy, Grundkraft, by which the Atlantean could still transform plants, by which he could set his curious airships in motion. This primary energy, which is called Vril, was used everywhere by the Atlantean, and he called it his god. He felt this energy inside himself, and for him it was the way and the goal. Thus every Mongolian regarded himself as an instrument in the hand of the great Vril force. The monotheism of the Atlanteans was retained by the races that survived the Great Flood. The fifth root race emerged from this religious form, which was still spiritual. But this spiritual religious form that worshipped a unitary god gradually degenerated into polytheism. Monotheism was still to be found only in highly developed priests. At the beginning of Christianity, the monks were crafty. Baldur, they said, became man in Palestine. In the early centuries, we would have found a Christianity mixed together with all kinds of pagan elements, even in Aryan Christianity. Readers of sight, Aryan is spelled A-R-I-A-N, referring to the person Arius, end of readers aside. This development ensued at the time when a particularly vigorous glow of religious feeling was enkindled in the ancient Mongolian races by highly developed shamans. As a reaction to polytheism, we see on the one hand the emergence of a new unitary religion in Arabia through Muhammad. On the other hand, somewhat earlier, we see the appearance of an initiated shaman with Tao consciousness, who makes himself the avenger against those who had lapsed from the old monotheistic idea of God. Attila was called the scourge of God. We see everywhere in his empire the vassal princes living in pomp and splendor, whereas he, a shaman, lived extremely simply. It was said of him that his eyes blazed and the ground shook when he raised his sword. This great initiate would have been fully justified in Atlantean times. In our times, he looks like a criminal. The same energy that at one time is an expression of divine fire appears in another time as divine wrath. Why do such things happen? They are necessary in order to make any kind of progressive development possible. 
when an advance is to be made in development of separate threads, seen from a higher perspective, must harmonize with each other once more. We have also discussed the Druid priests who instructed their people through stories and myths. They were healers, priests, and astrologers all in one. They had inspired knowledge. As the Celtic element was superseded by Germanic tribes, so the belief in the old form of inspiration also subsided. The men were given the task of conquering the physical plane. They became warriors. We meet intuitive and productive energy in the feminine element. Women became priestesses, who were also healers, for example, Veleda. All healing at that time was in the hands of women. Men were forced out onto the external physical plane. We still find this in the period of the Merovingians or Carolingians. The spiritual element was then suppressed by the science the monks had learned from the Moors. Between the 16th and 19th centuries, the materialist mode of thought increased more and more. Psychic healers decline. They come into disrepute and are despised as sorcerers and witches. This is connected with the general loss of the ability to heal by psychic means. Healing by this path is no longer effective. Paracelsus still had full possession of these abilities. This is connected with the transition of the guidance of humanity by one Dian Chohan, archangel, hierarchical being, of a higher nature to another Dian Chohan. Christian esotericism calls this holy Dian Chohan Saint Micaiah. This is the archangel who directs the psychic idealism of humanity. The human being will only be free by realizing that everything that happens on the physical plane is caused by higher forces. He must come into a pupil relationship with the archangel Michael. Two beings played a role in the Old Testament, the guiding spirit, which is harmonious, and Beelzebub, who is disharmonious, although also a Dian Chohan. He is the chief of all disharmony on the physical plane. We need to understand him in order to know why one form can work destructively on another. Since the 16th century, the hosts of Beelzebub have preponderated over the hosts of Michael. Mammon is the god of what hinders people from following the straight path. It would be out of place if this were to continue into the next century. All physical events are the shadows of supersensory events. The battle between spiritual forces and materialism is a reflection of the battle between the hosts of Beelzebub and Mammon against Michael. This battle had to be fought first on the higher planes. It was won there by Michael thirty years ago. And the present battle here on the physical plane is a reflection of it. Above, the battle has been decided, but for the individual human being it is not finished yet. If the human beings of today are not equal to this, we will all have to perish and new human beings would have to come. This shows us the juncture, the path, that the individual today needs to take. That's the end of the listener notes of Lecture 1.